0: Bishop Joe Matera, and uh, I can say so much about him. He heads up uh, uh, Christ Covenant Coalition. He's head of that also, uh, the uh, ICAL International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, and uh, so many things. He's got such powerful uh, uh, revelation and understanding. just on the body of Christ, the church, and leaders today. He has some uh, books back in the back. We've got that there. If you don't have one of his books, I encourage you to uh, get one of his books. Uh, He is actually from Brooklyn, New York. So you're really going to hear the Brooklyn accent uh, this morning. But can we stand and let's give honor to the man of God, uh, Bishop Joe Matera. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Pastor said I only have two and a half hours to share, so I don't know how I'm going to get through it. But I always love being here. Just amazing presence of God uh, combined with uh, real skill to worship God and apostolic balance and foundations. Um, And so, you know, I, I function in different ways. And when I come to a church like this, I don't have to function apostolically because the foundation has already been laid. So I come more prophetically to build on this foundation. Now some churches are a little out of whack and I have to go there apostolically, not that I have authority over them, but the teaching would be more apostolic. Um, But uh, I love your pastor and his wife, and we've become very close and uh, been a blessing to me. Preached at our church, really incredible balance and wisdom and a great blessing to our apostolic family. And uh, man, uh, I'm praying that he moves to New York. So (laughs) it's not going to happen. I know. I know. You're not praying that I move here, but I'm praying. I'm a little selfish. I don't know what to tell you, but, uh, but I love you guys and look forward to get to know you and, uh, but your pastor invited me, but I believe God sent me. And to be honest, I was really excited. I was going to preach two different messages on generations and family. And then I got, while I was sleeping, I got a message from the Lord. And this does not happen. I can only remember this happening twice. And he laid out a whole message for me while I was sleeping. And I got up and I wrote it out. So I've never preached this before. And to me, logically, the flow would have been better if I preached on family. But bear with me. And hopefully I didn't miss it. So uh, if I don't ever get invited back, you know. I missed it. <laughs> I'll have Gil talk talk to him. Get him back here. All right. But anyway, love you guys. But Lord, we just thank you for our time together, and we pray that you would bless this word, that you'd breathe into it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, As uh, Pastor mentioned, there's a number of books here that I wrote while I was in The Secret Place, and God gave me insight. A lot of different subjects, and there's 14 books. You can go on josephmatera.org. There's a free article every week, and books and training videos, everything. So uh, you're more than welcome to get on there. Okay. What I want to talk about is... thirsting for God in a world without water based on Psalm 63. So my question to you is, what is the greatest gift God can give you? If Someone were to ask you or most Christians that question, I would guess that most would say salvation. Some might even venture to say wealth and health depending on which kind of gospel they are feeding on. However, the word of God indicates something much greater. And as we see in scripture, salvation is only the doorway to something greater that we were born for. It was the only uh, it was only there to give us access to God and have a relationship with God. But as we read Scripture, and it's not like it ever says this directly, but the whole theme of Scripture points to this, the greatest gift that we can ever receive from God is a hunger to seek him and to know him. That is truly a gift, because the Bible teaches us that only God can turn our hearts unto him. In Lamentations 5, verse 11, it says, Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. That's in the New King James Version. The RSV says, turn thou us unto thee, and we shall be turned. Jesus said in John six forty four, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so if you have a yearning and a longing for God, that's from God. It doesn't come from your selfness, self-centeredness. It doesn't come from any hidden agenda. That's the only pure thought, desire and hunger. The only pure motivation you could ever have that the enemy would never want to manipulate or counterfeit. He can't do that. And so when you have a a hunger and a craving for God, um, that is something that is a gift of God. You cannot conjure that up in yourself because the whole world points against that. Your human uh, self-centered, original sin-laden nature would never crave God. And so that passage in uh, Lamentations, turn us, O God. Wow, what a powerful, powerful prayer that is. The first question of the famous Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end or goal of man? And the answer is a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. My testimony is before I was saved, I had a deep yearning for meaning and a sense of having some kind of uh, life and transcendence beyond what I was experiencing. I wasn't a drug addict and didn't have any, uh, you know, substantive vices that would cause me to be down and out. I was actually on my way to making it very famous in music. I still probably couldn't have qualified for this worship team, but I was pretty good and uh, I had a lot of accolades and followers and I was about to be famous. I was supposed to play in Madison Square Garden and when I was 17 and God stopped that uh, crazy things that happened, which I won't get into. Um, but the older I got, the emptier I became. In spite of all the friends and spite of the accolades, my search for meaning and purpose and identity grew greater than that, which my music proficiency could satisfy. It was just a hole in my heart. And the funny thing is I always knew that by the time I was 19, something big would happen to me. I always thought that was when I'd be famous and not to get into my whole testimony, but after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, after about being saved eight months, I did get an offer that probably would have given me a trajectory to fame, which I won't get into now. But uh, yes, something big happened. It was in January 1978 that I came to Christ. And for the first time in my life, I felt that empty, vacuous hole filled. First time in my life, I had peace. I had a sense of purpose and meaning that transcended that, which I saw in an experience in the earth. And uh, the result of that was I was so passionate to know more about this, that instead of practicing my instrument six to eight hours a day, and I was in three bands, had my own studio, I began reading the Bible six, eight, 12 hours a day. Uh, And then after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I knew how to pray. And so I started praying three to five hours a day, reading three to five hours a day. And um, I was just seeking God. And uh, it wasn't because God told me to lay down my instrument. I put it down because quite frankly, I was bored. It wasn't that I didn't love music anymore. It was that what I found was so great that I realized that the reason why I was playing my instrument so much was more to satisfy the longing of my soul and the lack of intimacy and the search for purpose than it was a love for music. And so when I found what I was really looking for my whole life, which I didn't know I was looking for, the instrument just was pushed to the side. I rather, I said this to myself, instead of practicing, I'd rather spend those hours studying the word of God, pouring over scripture. Again, most people with the talent I have, God would call them into uh, to, to music. So there's nothing wrong with music, obviously. But uh, with me, I was an all or nothing guy and I just had to go all out for what I thought was true in spite of what my friends thought. And I remember the lead singer in one of the bands I was in that we were trying to record for Atlantic Records He was so mad at me that he wanted to get a gun and kill me um, because they didn't think they could find someone to take my place. And I pray, God, get them somebody good. And they found someone decent a few weeks later. It was a miracle. But uh, as I said, after I met Jesus, everything else seemed like a dim star fading in the sky as the clouds covered over them. It just seemed like, wow. This is what I was born for. And um, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I became addicted not only to his presence, but most importantly to knowing and understanding his ways. David said, make me know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. And so we need to know the ways of God more than merely trying to get a word from God. It's one of the problems in the charismatic movement. We're trying to get a word from God instead of plumbing the depths of God's soul and his word and pouring over scripture to know his ways. Nothing wrong with getting a word, but that can't take the place of living your life, seeking to know him. Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God earnestly. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body and flesh long for you and faints for you. The Amplified Version says, "Oh God, you are my God. With deepest longing, I will seek you. My soul, and in parentheses, my life, my very self thirsts for you. My flesh longs and sighs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I remember in one of those times when I was poring over the word, I was saved about a year or two, and I didn't even want to eat at in some points of my life because it would take time away from the word. I was so obsessed and longing for the word that I just wanted to devour it. And maybe I thought I was crazy. And then uh, the Bible opened up to I think it was somewhere in Job 38 where he says, I long for your word more than my necessary food. And that night I went to my mother church in Marilyn Hickey was there and she called me out of a crowd of over a thousand. I was a young 21 year old, all the way in the back. She made me stand up. She said, you stand up to me. Yeah. She said, you don't look like a minister, but God has given you such a hunger for the word that you desire his word more than your own food. And God is going to give you a national platform because of the hunger that you have for the word. I was shocked. And if there was anything that confirmed it, I mean, out of the blue, I see this thing in Job and then she quotes it. I think it was in Job 23 or something. I still have the tape and the prophecy and it still blows my mind. She was that accurate. And this was the focus of David. Um, David was chosen by God because he longed for God, not merely the blessings of God. We see the prophet Samuel, in comparing him to Saul, told Saul, the kingdom shall not continue with you because the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Wow. And so Saul merely attempted to use God for his own benefit and aggrandizement, to build his own empire and kingdom. But God doesn't want people like that. God, just like anybody else, doesn't like getting used. He doesn't like being manipulated. He doesn't like it when people merely seek him when they want something. He doesn't like it when people use the scripture just so that they can have health, wealth and benefits. He doesn't even like it when pastors only study to preach messages. He's calling for us to go deeper. We need a revival of God in the church, a revival of longing for God, for God's sake, for seeking God because of no other reason, but he's worthy. And he's more worthy than anything else we could ever desire or experience in this life. And so as opposed to Saul, who wanted to utilize God for his own ends, God said, no, I want someone who has a heart after me. And that's what we need today more than ever before. We dilute the gospel when we seek the blessings of God more than God himself. And so David said, I long for you. And I'm in it as if I were in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So we're using Psalm 63, by the way, as the text. And so he compares the world to a dry and weary land without water. And so what he's saying metaphorically is the water of the world, because there is water, cannot satisfy the longing of the human soul. And so behind all the anger, the wars and frustration in the world is a longing for some kind of transcendence and meaning. Behind all the popular, beautiful, intimate love songs, even in the secular world, is a craving for deep intimacy. Even as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, to know someone fully, even as you are fully known. That's the deep longing that only as Paul said in 1 Corinthians can only happen through Christ. But people in the world don't know this, even in marriage, We only become one flesh with our spouse, but in salvation, we become one spirit. It's even deeper. No man can satisfy the full longing of a woman and vice versa. When the woman at the well encountered Jesus, Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the water of the world, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks Of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, because the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. Psalm 63 all over again. Jesus was comparing his love to that which the Samaritan woman had been looking for and longing for all her life, didn't know how to satisfy it, which is why she went from one illicit relationship to the next. Behind uh, all of the addiction to pornography is a man or a woman's longing for intimacy and they could never be satisfied, which is why they are addicted. And the addiction only gets worse and worse and worse. And Jesus was saying, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, what you're saying is the truth. And basically he's saying, I'm really your husband. I am your true husband. And everything that you've been searching for is going to end today because of the water I will give you. And so we will continue to be thirsty, even in the church, just because you're a Christian and come to church and tied doesn't mean that you are longing for God. Can be a religious observance. It could be you're saved, but you're not fully sanctified. It could be that uh, you're happy with just the first room. God says in my house are many rooms when you're happy in the first room of salvation, forgiveness of sins. But God is saying, I want to take you to a place you've never been before. I want to take you to another room today. Is there anybody who wants to go to another room? And so it's possible to drink water and continue to get thirsty. It's sort of like you're drinking Diet Coke and you're constantly going to be thirsty or if you're in the middle of the ocean and you're stranded and you attempt to drink salt water to satisfy your thirst, but it actually dehydrates you and makes it worse because of the infusion of salt. And so the world will continue to dissatisfy you. And even in the church, you could be a Christian for 30 years, never gone past your first year of maturation in Christ, and you're thirsty and longing and you're addicted to porn or gambling or this and that and so many Christians I know, they have to constantly shop. They need the latest accoutrement and toy and technology and car and this and that and the other thing. I found that the more you know God, the simpler your life becomes because you're satisfied with one, with the one. David said, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary you know, when you keep the main thing, the main thing that whatever you put second will never be hurt. That's why it says seek first the kingdom and all these other things to be added. You won't turn into some weirdo if you love God and want him more than anything else. But you'll actually be more complete as a husband, as a marketplace leader and as everything else you're called to. David said, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Perhaps, based on this, it seems that what triggered David in his journey of longing for God and being addicted to Yahweh was he had some kind of encounter with the living God in the tabernacle. We don't know, or at least he had many. This is what happened to Moses. It tells us in Exodus 33, when Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at the tent door and watch Moses until he went into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. I remember when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were battling for the home run, uh, championship and they were both breaking Babe record of 61 homers. But Mark McGuire was so prolific at hitting a ball that even other players would come to batting practice to watch him hit. And you would think that that's amazing. They would play him ball their whole life. That should be normal. There was something so special about Mark that everybody would watch when he would get up to bat. The same thing happened when Moses went to pray people dropped whatever they were doing and worshiped God as God met him face to face. What impressed the disciples the most about Jesus was his prayer life, because after all, they never asked him, teach us to preach, teach us to cast out demons or heal. They said, teach us to pray, as they saw him go to solitary places before the day loomed and he would pray and cry out to his father. They would often sneak and watch while he was in prayer all night, and they knew that that was the secret to his power, his longing to be with his father. Moses' fellowship with Yahweh was so inspiring that Moses' Moses' servant Joshua would often linger in the tent after Moses left. He refused to leave, which is why God eventually chose Joshua to succeed Moses because he wanted to qualify someone who had the same heart after God that he could trust. This is the kind of person God is looking for today. I pray you're one of them. The kind of person he could trust to raise up as his messenger to influence other people. Even after all the time in the glory, Moses was ruined. He wanted more of God. He longed for God. He sought for God. In his longing, he needed more longing. In his satisfaction, he was not satisfied. In the presence, he needed more presence. In understanding the person, he wanted to know more of the person. In walking into one room after the next, he needed to keep walking into other rooms. He was so awe-inspired, awe-struck, and fascinated by God that when he was alone with God, He said, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you to find favor. And the Lord said to Moses, the very thing you have spoken, I will do for you. for You have found favor in my sight. You see, it's a gift of God, hunger, longing, thirsting. He said, I know you by name. And Moses said, he could have asked for money, for power. He could have asked to go into the promised land, but once you've been with him, everything else is secondary. Everything else is a disappointment. You don't want anything else or you want other things, but they're, they pale in comparison. So his prayer was show me your glory. Wow. You would think after being 40 days and 40 nights without food and water, he would have been sick of God. And yet that's all he wanted. The more, you know, God, the more you want to know him, the more you're in his presence, the more you want to be in his presence. It's amazing what happens. And if you don't have a hunger for God here today, I want to propose to you that you've probably never really encountered him, even though you're saved. The difference between Moses and everyone else in Israel, according to Psalm 103:7, was God made his ways known to Moses but only his acts to the people of Israel. Even the angels long to be with Yahweh. We see in Isaiah chapter six, these beings that have been with God from almost the very beginning of time and space and creation according to Job 38, when it says the sons of God were rejoicing while he was making the world. It says that when they were in God's presence, they turned and looked to each other And their conversation wasn't about current events. It wasn't about who the next empire would be. It wasn't about what was going on in the earth. They knew God, and all they could do is say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations, the thresholds, shook at the voice of him, and the house was filled with smoke. Our religion is shaken. Our houses, our buildings are quaking, and everything that we thought we knew is broken up. And the only thing that we want to know is God. Our longings and everything else become wrapped up, knowing him, those foundations of our life are shaken because our life is ruined. As Isaiah said, I'm undone because I, I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the Lord. Your life will never be the same. You will be ruined. Revelation 4, the same thing. The living creatures said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. And it says that the elders fell down and cast their crowns before the throne. If you have a leader who is proud, if you have someone pointing to themselves, whether they're a prophet or apostle, whoever they are on social media and in their books and their preaching, you could tell they've never really met God because when you've met God, you're not impressed with your own publicity. You're not a legend in your own mind. You don't believe your own press, but the tendency is that you cast your crowns before the throne because you know that you have nothing that wasn't already given to you as a free gift from God himself. David said, I will bless you as long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Wow, he will be satisfied with fat and rich food. The apostle Paul put it like this in. Philippians 3, so whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung that I may win Christ. Wow. All these young people and... Those in this country, in the world who are suicidal and depressed because they don't get enough likes on social media are really searching for an encounter with the living God, and they don't know it. They're trying to be in- affirmed by men, which will never be enough, because if they get a million likes, they'll need two million the next day. If they own one restaurant, they'll need to own three. If they have one house, they'll need three. If they're making a million, they'll need to make three million. You'll never be satisfied, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the only thing that'll ever satisfy your transcendent search for meaning, purpose or reality, is to know God. And so the key to dealing with the malady of the increase of youth suicides and depression is to present to them a real experiential encounter with Jesus Christ and I'm praying that there's a great Jesus movement David continues in Psalm 63 so when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy when people are mocked by God and long for God more than their daily bread The sign is even when they're in private, even when they're alone, even when they're in their beds, they're thinking of him. They're not living a disparate life from public and private life. When they're alone, they still have the same desire. They're still going after God. I remember reading many books on Smith Wigglesworth, not because of his faith and not because of all the incredible healings but I saw in him someone who was after God's heart, and he said, you can't be with me five minutes that I'm not going after God. It was God that he was after, and that's why God could trust him with such great power. So if you're mocked by God, even when you're alone, that's what you desire more than anything else. He goes on to say in Psalm 63, my soul clings to you. King James says it even better. It says, my soul follows hard after you. Wow. The amplifier says, my soul, which is my life and my very self clings to you. You're like that saran wrap. You cling. You become very clingy. I don't like it when people are clingy with me, but God really likes it when we're clingy with him. Jesus told the woman at the well, the hour is coming and now is here. Someone say, let it come now, Lord. When the true worship is, we'll worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people. You want to know what excites God? It's go after him. Long for him. Go after him. Seek his face more than his hand. Seek the blesser more than the blessings. The Father is seeking such. Isaiah Second uh, Chronicles 16 it says, For the eyes of the Lord searched to and fro across the whole earth, looking for people whose hearts are perfect towards him. He's been looking and longing all over the earth. He said to the devil in Job chapter 1 and 2, Where you been? I'm going to and fro. First Peter says he's looking for whom he may devour. But God is looking for people searching throughout the earth, not for people who he could devour and just merely bless, but he's searching for those who have an inner desire and heart to go after him. That's what the father seeks. The only prayer that will open the heavens and heal the land as we've seen the last three years is not praying and fasting for the person you want to be elected president. But in second Chronicles, this is the secret for an open heaven. He says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence upon my people, like the last few years, this is the solution. If my people, if someone say, if it's conditional, it's not guaranteed, if my people, and he's talking about the church, not the unsaved world. The problem is not with politicians. It's with a lack of seekers in the church. God never called you to say prayers, but he called you to seek, to knock, to long, to go after, to cling, to follow hard after him. He said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek, my face somebody say seek his face and turn from their wicked way then I will hear from heaven forgive their sins and heal the land If we have enough people in the body doing that we will see the windows of heaven open that's probably why the windows of heaven opened over Asbury because the focus was on the holiness of God and worshiping him and not barking like dogs and laughing It was God. So as we close, the question is this. Will you continue to be satisfied more with the things in this world? than the person and being of God. Will you dedicate your life to seeking his face more than merely seeking the blessings of his hand? Jesus said. Only those who hunger. Somebody say hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Some of you will leave empty has nothing to do with me. It's you. It's your lack of hunger because Jesus only promised those who are hungry. For him will be filled. And so my last question. Will you be mocked for the rest of your life by hunger? Why don't we stand up and pray? How many want to be hungry? How many want that gift of hunger? How many want, like the Book of Lamentations said, turn me to you? Somebody say, turn me to you, God. Say it again. Begin to just cry out to God and ask him to turn you because let me tell you something. There is no way you could do it yourself. Jesus said no one could come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. So I'm going to pray and hand it over to Pastor Robert. Father, we desire that gift of hunger. Oh God, help our longing be in you. As the deer pants for streams of water, let my soul thirst for God, for the living God. Let deep call unto deep. Oh, we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul thirsts, longs, turn our hearts turn our hearts. You said in my Father's house are many rooms. Lord, please take us to a place we've never been before. Bring us into the next room of an encounter with you.